Mine's good. Life's good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always. Hi, Scott. Sean, good to be here. So, we're doing um, not quite an emergency podcast. I think we always plan to do one after the round robin of the Olympics. But this is a little different from what we thought we'd be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Canada's on fire. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so so we'll talk about both the men and the women, but I think we have to start with what is the surprise, certainly of the curling world, if not of the Olympics as a whole, the fact that Rachel Holman does not make the playoffs in the women's competition. The team goes four and five, finishes a game out of the playoffs, which is interesting actually yesterday. So I didn't get up. We're recording this Wednesday evening i didn't get up this morning to watch the game after they had been eliminated but last night the morning draw in korea where they lost to great britain there was a scenario in which you could have had a six-way tiebreaker mm-hmm. and then it works out that there's no tiebreakers it's it's like vic router's dream come true <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah he doesn't want to get up for that tiebreaker game no so so let's talk about team holman and what happened or what we think happened in watching it, and we're prefacing this by saying, or at least my, I, I'm standing by what I said in the preview, that I think they're the best team in the world. I, this doesn't diminish my belief that they're the best team in the world at all. That being said, this is not the result that they obviously wanted or that most of the country would have expected from them. Like, uh, absolutely, yeah. I want to say, too, I, I think they're a great team. The, nothing changes uh, about that. I don't want anybody throwing shade at them on social media. They went and represented our country and, and did the best they could mm-hmm. that week in that situation. Uh, they're awesome. But all that said, th- this is kind of a disaster. It is. So it's the first time that in either the men's or the women's Olympics that a Canadian team has not made the playoffs. First time Canada won't get a medal in a, an Olympic curling competition. But all that being said, in we, now we just we disagree on this point. But in watching the the games, and I watched most of the games, there weren't a lot of games that they played where I felt that they lost, where I felt that they necessarily deserved to win. Like I don't think they lost games where they demonstrably outplayed people, and the other team just got lucky. Yeah, I guess that's fair to say. There was. There, there's two games in particular that we disagree on, mm-hmm. and I think it's more about the, the way that you define deserved. I think in the Swedish game, the, the game against Sweden, it, both of these games were just Rachel's last shot that she missed. So the game against Sweden in the extra end, all she has to do is draw somewhere above the T-line, and Sweden has a tough time scoring. Mm-hmm. They lose that game after the draw comes behind the T-line, makes Anna Hasselberg's draw pretty easy. And then the game against Denmark... Which, in the first place, they shouldn't have been tied with Denmark. No. At all. They shouldn't have. And then she missed the last shot when the stone just curls more than she's mm-hmm. expecting. And I think that's the story of the week for this Team Canada, was that they were not confident in putting the broom down. They weren't confident in draw weight. Nope. And all that stuff was getting in their head. They were tentative in almost every decision, which you never, ever see Rachel Holman that indecisive. And... All of that added up to the fact that they weren't comfortable, and it showed in the results. Yeah, it seemed like every time that 
Rachel was going to throw a lot of double guessing on things mm-hmm. and sort of not really sure about where to put the broom, what type of weight to throw. And, and, and I think you saw it last night, too, on her last draw in that game against Great Britain where she stood behind the hack at the other end mm-hmm. about ready to throw talking to Lisa Weagle and Joanne Courtney. And, and I don't think I've ever seen her do that, sort of stand up behind the hack for about a minute or two discussing it. Yeah, right. discussing the path, the weight, yeah. what kind of what way to throw it if she's throwing it a little with a little more outward movement or a straight straight up throw. Yeah, she usually gets in the hack, will look up and say, What's the speed like? They'll tell her and then they throw. Yeah. Right. It's it was a lot more and, and certainly on the, the broadcast, Joan McCusker was talking about how early in the week they needed to talk more. And yeah, that's true. But you also want to keep within your routine mm-hmm. and how you do things. And Certainly, Rachel Holman, when we've seen her at her best, which has been a lot, it's she's she's very decisive and clear as what they want to do, and it seems like they just never got a handle on it this week in terms of the ice weight, whatever it was. There's there was just something missing this week. Yeah, it kind of reminded me about how at national championships you see these teams come from the east and they're not used to the arena ice, and it takes them a few games to get used to it. Mm-hmm. It seemed like at the beginning of the week it was uh, Team Holman was trying to figure out the ice a little bit, and they weren't. They weren't getting it the way that they usually do. And I don't know if that's because the amount of practice time on the ice is different at the Olympics. There's so many other commitments that you have going on. Uh, your family and your friends are around. Mm-hmm. Who knows, right? But they just, they never, ever got comfortable with the ice. And you, in some in some senses, these competitions are all about who figures it out first. Yep. And for Team Canada, they just, they never got a handle on it. No, and they, they were never... Really, all that comfortable. That being said, they shot well in terms of percentages, but you know, as has been talked about a lot on Twitter through the week, stats in curling aren't really that useful. I mean, you can shoot really well, but if the other team shoots better, or if you miss at a bad time, which we talked about during the mixed doubles recap, mm-hmm. you know, you miss at the wrong time, your ninety-five percent can still be a loss. Yeah, and so for for Team Holman, they had those two shots of Rachel's that or misses, mm-hmm. and those two missed shots cost them two wins that that they could have had had they made those shots, you know? So, yeah. And but again, everything I, else being the same, mm-hmm. if she makes those two shots, that's two more wins, and that's in the playoffs. Yes, that that's true, but we, I want to be careful to not oversimplify it just down to those two shots, too, because, you know, in that, that game against Denmark, for instance, I mean, they did give up a deuce in 10, and then the steal, which is a missed shot, but the deuce in 10, which isn't great. They give up a three in the third, steal in the fourth. I mean, it doesn't boil down just to one shot because they had missed opportunities throughout a lot of these games where they lost. Yeah, so but that, that Rachel missed her last one in those two cases, you can also look back to shots earlier in the game where they could have taken control. Oh, obviously you can, you can do that, but all other things being the same... Those are two shots that if you make, that changes the the win-loss column as opposed to, okay, if they made the shot to not give up the steal, then the whole game would change differently. Yeah, you can say that, but that's a little more nebulous of an argument, whereas you can say definitively if she makes that shot against Denmark in the 11th, they win that game. Yes, and then they're into a tiebreaker. And and that the thing is too, that's the only game Denmark won. Yeah. And that that's was, that's a killer, right? You're 
you're you're losing a game to the rest of the field on that matchup. Everyone else beats them, you lose to them. That you're already starting a game behind. That's tough. Yeah, and so while we're talking about this Denmark game, should we talk about the uh, controversy, non-controversy? Yeah, let's let's talk about this because something happened in the game against China that I thought was really interesting. To put this all into context. The Chinese, uh, I don't remember who, which Chinese player it was, mm-hmm. but it was one of the front-end players, burned a stone yeah. just as it was coming to rest in the house, and uh, Rachel Homan left it there. And the world didn't end, the Twitter didn't blow up, nothing mm-hmm. really happened. Compare that to what happened in the Denmark game where she pulls the stone, mm-hmm. gets a lot, there was a backlash to that then there was a backlash to the backlash of that because that's how the internet works <laughs> in 2018 mm-hmm. and then it, it seemed like it kind of died down but it i don't know and, and certainly I, I can't imagine that internally the this what six of them seven of them if you count renee sonnenberg really cared about it or talked about it much mm. but certainly from the outside that seemed to like almost you know put some negative energy on them like externally and i think some of the reason why we're seeing so much negativity on Twitter towards them now that they've been eliminated from playoff contention stems back to that, mm-hmm. right? And some people almost saying, well, you got what you deserved, which I think Madeline DuPont might I think she actually that, said that. that based on her comments after the game. But I think, I think those two things are sort of tied together. And I think you and I disagree slightly on this because I would not have taken that stone off against... Denmark, and I think what she did against China was, is the way that you handle it. Now, the difference, of course, is in the Danish game, the girl was sweeping when she burned it. In the game against China, they were just walking beside it, and she turned around to walk back to the other end and tapped the stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it's a difference in what in the action. that It wasn't a mistake on the sweeping side of it. It was just clearly accidental. Now, in both cases, yeah, I think, well, I mean, if I'm playing at the club, I would just leave it right because who cares i'm not playing for anything but the rules say the rules say that it's up to the non-offending skip to or non-offending team to decide what they want to do and so she made a decision it was it was a very fast decision against denmark (laughs) but she made a decision that was within the bounds of the rules and so to me it's fine do do whatever like you're allowed to do that okay if you don't want her to do it then maybe don't tell her that you touched the stone. <laughs> well, I think it's a matter of, of extent. I mean, the, the touch didn't do anything, right? So that's why I think, that's why it's this sort of gray issue. If it happens at the top of the house and the stone still has a lot of momentum and it might actually change what would happen to the stone, then it it's different. This is It was right at the end. You just, you just sort of leave it. And again, and I always, and maybe this is unfair, but I always, and I tweeted this, I go back to Vic Router's sappy photo essays at the end of every event mm-hmm. where he talks about how great the sport is, about it's who we are, we're congenial, we're honest, all these things. And if that's what we want the sport to be and that's what we want to represent ourselves as, then what happened in the game against Denmark goes against that a little bit. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And... You can look at it from the other perspective of uh, golf. Now, I heard two girls in a game talk about this on their podcast, so shout out to them. But how in golf, if you're playing with your buddies, 
then, you know, oh, let's say I landed in a divot. Who cares, right? But if you're playing in a professional golf event and someone on TV sees the player accidentally ground their club when they shouldn't or move the ball, they're calling the rules official mm-hmm. from home to say, hey, I saw this guy on TV uh, do something wrong. And, and they're enforcing the rule. Even if it's... Well, not anymore. So they've changed that rule. Even if it has no impact, really. Yeah, but they changed that rule because it was so stupid. So you can't call stuff in anymore. But here's the, to me, the parallel between golf and curling is that 99% of the time, people call their own... It's self-policing. Right? You, yeah, yeah, you self-police it. And so the concern I would have in changing it, right? So, so the case that's been made by some people is that, well, why not just take it away from the non-offending team because it puts them in an awkward situation and make it that the officials it's their job now to enforce it the problem that you have with that or i have with that is then it becomes a situation where the people might actually try to not call it Mm -hmm. and people might try to get away with things during the game the the fact that it's self-policing and that the other team has the option you know it there's sort of like a, a respect part of it there that that doesn't exist when you're trying to get something over an official. Sure, sure. But all these unwritten rules, I mean, make it a rule or not. And from what I saw, she followed what the rule was. But then it, it might not be something that people didn't like. But then what about Ch- what about the game against China? Should, should, should she have taken that stone off? But maybe this, that stone was to her advantage more than the one against Denmark, right? So, you know, it, it's situational. Okay. I mean, it wasn't to her advantage. No, no. Uh, I mean, it was really the exact same thing, except it was in the 12 foot, not the 4 foot. But it was more on the wings. Yeah, it right? was out behind a corner guard. And, so, and that, so that's where my confusion comes from. Not so much in what Rachel Holman did, although there's. I mean, I, I think the way that she removed the stone against Denmark, it was clear that she was very frustrated with how that game was going. Mm-hmm. It was very fast, and, and that. And you can see Madeline DuPont. As she retrieves the stone, sort of shaking her head and being annoyed by it. But then to have a very different reaction in the game against China, it, it you know, I, that's where the confusion comes from. I'm all for changing the rule. I don't know if, if making it so that the officials do everything is the way to go, because I think that would lead to people trying to get away with things. But I, I just, I don't know. I mean, because clearly the game is at a point where it's, professionalized yeah and the idea of it being full of honor and and you know in the old you know gentlemanly if if we may um gentlemanly and ladylike and we're all proper and doing everything with manners and respect and all that we've seen it start to go away i mean the way people cheer their makes and sometimes cheer the other team's misses and broom slams and whatnot yeah Yeah, so we're starting to get to that point so maybe this is a natural and necessary evolution in that maybe in the at the end of the day i think we've talked too much about it for for today but at the end of the day she didn't break any rules that are written in the rule book of curling so to me fine Okay, so let's talk about something else then that's gotten a lot of attention. This idea that the world has caught up to Canada, that the, the Rachel Holman's week and the standings as they are at the end of the round robin is representative of the fact that the world has caught up to Canada in curling. What do you think of this narrative, Scott? Well, I think it's bunk. <laughs> 
there's there's three or four or maybe even five teams from Canada, both men's and women's, that could go to this event and also finish four and five in the standings. Whereas I don't think that's the case for most other countries. Switzerland may be the exception. I think Switzerland is definitely the exception. Uh, in women's curling anyway. Yeah. And otherwise, so maybe the... Maybe Russia. Maybe the cream of of curling at the international level has risen to a level where they can mm-hmm. compete with Canada, but otherwise, no. I mean, come on. <laughs> so I disagree in that. I don't think the world has caught up to Canada is new. This is not a new phenomenon. The world at the elite level... Has caught up had caught up to Canada a long time ago. A long time ago, you're right. And and as far as like world championships go, I know in the women's side, uh, they've won Canada's won three in the last ten years. I think you got some. I got some stats. Numbers in front I'm of you. Going to the glasses, okay. if you will. Go to the glasses. Uh, so since since curling became an Olympic sport in 1998, right, the first time it was back in the Olympics. So that really is when the sport changed. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot more attention internationally. And certainly Canada has changed the way it's done things to respond to the Olympics. So I'm using 1998, which I don't think is arbitrary in this context. Okay. So since 1998, there have been 20 women's world championships, mm-hmm. right? Canada has won six of them. Sweden has won five. Scotland, uh, excuse me, the Swiss have won four, including three of the past four. The Scots have won two. The Americans and the Chinese have won one each. So that's still Canada's the best, but certainly that is a situation where they're not just rolling over teams. They're not showing up and winning medals all the time. Similarly, there have been five years in which Canada has not won a medal at all. So Canada has not medaled almost as much as they've won gold medals at Women's World Championships. And now this is the sixth Olympic Games that curling's been back, mm-hmm. Canada's won two gold medals. They've won medals in all of them, but only two gold medals. So in, in women's play. In women's play. Yeah. So how yeah, I'm only talking about women the the women's game right now. So how can we say that the world has finally caught up when the numbers at international events demonstrate that it's a lot closer and it's a lot more competitive than a lot of the narrative is giving it credit for? Yeah, and I think the the difference in in Canada versus the rest of the world, uh, obviously those numbers speak for themselves when it comes to number of world championships, but when it comes to different teams that have won the world championship, Canada is still a little bit deeper, well, definitely deeper than Sweden, and the Swiss have four, three different champions in those four titles, I think? No, I believe it's four different ones i don't think anyone's won twice so because whoever won let me see so the swiss 16 15 12 those are three different people um and then or sorry 16 15 14 12 so those are the four okay and i think it was three different teams so yeah it's uh it's but in in the case of canada it's not the same team going every time like with sweden and uh, that you see with, with the men, with Sweden, and with the women as well. It's, it's, I mean, I think there's been two different Swedish teams that have gone um, in the yeah, last Yeah, well, you've had yeah, last Annette Norberg and, and Margareta Sigfridsson. 
and have then, won. Um, and then now World Championships. And now Anna Hasselberg goes, yeah. And yes, you're right. These, these teams go consistently to World Championships, and, and they get better that way. But, again, the idea that, that Canada just shows up and wins... It's just not true. No, no. And there, it's a, there's a lot more parity at the world level than I think people give it credit for. And we talked about it on the preview that this is a tough field. It was a wide-open field. I thought Rachel Holman would win because I still think they're the best team in the world. But we talked about how we wouldn't be surprised there was six teams, six or seven teams that we thought could all make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and now, do you, I don't know if you have more numbers Oh, I have there. more stats because... Uh, well, it's just the men's side, right? So the men's side is different than the women's side. The women's game is a lot more wide open. And it's it's interesting to me that I think in Canada, the women's game is more concentrated in terms of the top teams. Uh, whereas in the men, I think it's a little more wide open. Not much, but a little mm-hmm. more wide open. But the same period, the same 20-year period for the men, uh, 20 world championships, Canada's won 12 of them. So that's... You know, obviously a, a lot more uh, significant. And Canada has won uh, three golds, two silvers in the five Olympics the before this. Yeah. And they're in the playoffs this year. So they've made the gold medal game in every Olympics mm-hmm. uh, since Curling has come back. And when you look at the teams who have won gold for Canada, there's a lot more diversity than on the women's side. But that's partly because they've won more than the women have. Right, right. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot more champions, and it's as diverse as I'm sort of peeking at your list there. Yeah. But like Greg McCauley in the year 2000. Yeah, Glenn Howard's one. Wayne Madaw. Kevin Cooey, Wayne Madaw, and uh, Kevin Cooey with two different teams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Randy Furby's in there. Jeff Stout and exactly. Brad Gushu. So there is a lot a lot more diversity. We're on the women's side. It's it's Colleen Jones, Jennifer uh, Jones, Jennifer Jones, Kelly Law, Rachel Homan, and. Kelly Scott. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have a lot more teams in the men's side. But again, that's a product of winning more world championships. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I mean, and like w- like what we talked about in our preview was that, yeah, on the women's side, yeah, we could see six, maybe seven teams making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not all of them making the playoffs, but who could make the playoffs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas on the men's side, we said that Sweden and Canada were top, top dogs and that sort of played out uh, in the final standings. I don't know if you want to talk any more about the playoff field that is yeah, for the women's. Yeah, let's, let's talk about talk the playoff. About let's, talk, let's talk about this. So We spent 30 minutes talking about Rachel Holman, and they didn't even make the playoffs. No, so so, uh, so the playoff teams, again, Vic Router is uh, so happy if he was calling this, that the possibility of six-team tiebreaker. What was interesting, though, is that the Olympics only allows for one tiebreaker session. So say there had been a four-way tie for third place, then you would have had two games and the two winners would have made the playoffs. And if there had been a six-way tie, then people would have been eliminated based off of last own draw to the button. Draw? Yeah. So it's interesting that they don't allow the tie, which is weird. Okay, I want to talk, just say this real quick. You know, if they're, they're not allowing more than one session for tiebreakers this turn this tournament was interminable it took way too long Mm -hmm. there there was too many draws where there was an empty sheet and teams with full days off and and just just do the tournament and just get it over with you don't have to have eight days for a round robin right and now it's we're going into thursday morning in korea the the men's final is going to be sunday 
Yeah, and they're doing the like, semifinals is Thursday night in Korea. Yeah, and then the finals aren't until Sunday. Like that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, the scheduling of this is is really awful. I think, in terms of of just why, just just play the games. And I, I wonder about you know getting into rhythm and, and all that kind of stuff for the mm-hmm. players, but certainly that didn't hurt the South Koreans, who, yeah, who crushed it. So the South Koreans finished first, the Swedish the Swedish team second, Eve Muirhead, Great Britain third, and the the one of the favorite teams for this show, uh, the Japanese team finishes fourth. Everyone else under five hundred. Yeah, and one of the interesting things is that let's say Rachel Holman had beat Great Britain last night. That would put them in third place in this field. It would vault them ahead of Japan and ahead of yeah. of uh, Great Britain. So it was a very close field. Uh, but as you said, holy cow, the Korean team there—they came out of nowhere for me. Uh, they, you know, they played pretty well in the Grand Slam leading up to the Olympics, mm-hmm. and we got some uh, shade on Twitter there about uh, <laughs> our underestimating the uh, Korean team. I think there was, was just a reminder that they're good. They're good, yes. Yeah. And uh, I sort of gave them a little bit of a reverse jinx by saying they had no chance and that <laughs> it was fake news that they could do well. But holy cow, yeah, they came to play, and uh, mm-hmm. it's picking up a lot of steam in the local media there. They're, the whole country is really getting behind this team, and yeah. the way they're playing, you can't really fault them for that. No, and the only loss to Japan, right? So they they beat not only who they should beat, but they also beat mm-hmm. Anna Hasselberg, and, and they beat Eve Muirhead. So they, they had a terrific week, and every time watching the games... You just heard huge roars all the time. They yeah. just kept making shots. Yeah, they, they did a good job of getting out to early leads, it seemed, and and then being able to clean up and, and not let teams hang around, right. sort of the opposite of, of Canada. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they had a really strong week, and now they're set up for a, a semifinal matchup against the only team that did beat them. Which is kind of in interesting, Japan. right? It's, it's sort of, the, uh, I don't know if that's irony or not, but it's, it makes it for a very interesting matchup. And then, of course, the other semifinal being Sweden and Great Britain. And I think from the outside, if if someone, casual fan, hasn't been watching all week, someone would look at that Sweden-Great Britain game, two teams that you might have heard of before, uh, whereas the two Asian teams, might, you might not be as familiar with them just because they don't play in North America as much, certainly, mm-hmm. as even your head does. You might think that's a gold medal game, but either of those two teams, whoever comes out of the South Korea-Japan semifinal, is more than capable of winning. Against uh, either Sweden or Great Britain. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, for the Game of Stones podcast here, our sentimental favorite would be Team Japan. We've gone on record saying we're... Uh, we like them. We're, we like Team Japan. Yeah. But uh, I th- how fun would it be to see this South Korea team in a gold medal final yeah. on home soil? It would know? be pretty cool. It would be pretty fun. And it would be pretty intimidating for whoever they, they end up playing. That building would be rocking, yeah. you, you would expect. and. Certainly, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe now that, that Canada's eliminated, maybe the loyalties for this country shift to Great Britain, if only for Glenn Howard being there and and hoping that he does well. Of course, coaches don't get medals, but and just know. to be honest, like the, there's Canadian coaches of the of everyone, the Korean team and the Japanese yes. team and. Uh, everyone. Yeah. Well, not everyone, but yes, there's a there's certainly a lot. There's a lot of Canadian contingent on that lot, coaching. Bench. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Canadian content there. So our picks there, Scott. You had Canada, the Swiss, the British, and the Japanese in the playoffs. So you get two of four. Uh, I did worse. This is the first time you've beat me on oh, predictions. Look out. Look out. I had Canada, Sweden, the Swiss, and China. 
in the playoffs. I think if I would say the Swiss team is second to Rachel Holman as the biggest disappointment in the tournament. I think they were certainly medal contenders, if not medal favorites. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the the teams that missed the playoffs. I mean, the Chinese. You know, maybe I was rooting for them, uh, but they've haven't done as well in the past few years as they had in the past. And the Americans, I think the Americans did quite well to go four and five. Um, and the Russians, a two and seven, young team, tough spot for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Danish team, I think most expected them to finish at the lower half. Yeah, I, I said it would be lucky for them to win a game. And, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, they beat uh, beat Rachel Holman. But, yeah. but, uh, so obviously then, Scott, you could, we, we both picked Canada to win the gold medal. So do you want to just bump everyone up? Because you had Great Britain in the final. Yeah, uh, I sure did, didn't so, I? Yeah, so you had, uh, and then you had Japan winning the bronze medal. Yeah, you know, i got to be honest with uh So you could still Sean. have that matchup. Uh, but watching that game last night, I didn't watch many of the games other than the Canadian ones, just because watching curling without announcers is a little tougher to hold my interest. Um because I get, you know, doing a cooking or uh, on the computer. So I didn't watch that much. But, boy, uh, Eve looked good, but the rest of the team uh, did not. Yeah, Anna Sloan really struggled last night yeah. in that game, especially with draw weight. She didn't have it. I don't know how active you are on the uh, curling zone uh, forums there, Sean, <laughs> but uh, some people have been saying, you know, oh, this is just uh, – Eve Muirhead just has a team of club players and wow. carries them to to medals and stuff and and I'll I'll, I'll agree that her team is not uh, as deep as some of the other teams out there on the circuit and that she covers up a lot of mistakes but uh, I thought Vicky Adams played really well yesterday and yeah. and sort of makes shots and she made a lot of shots yeah and Dude. really like really good. Um, so they have a, as good a chance as anybody. The the Swedish team sort of skidded a bit at the end of the week, but uh, I'd, I'd call that game a coin toss, to be honest. Uh, and then as far as Japan-Korea goes, I, I could easily see Japan beating this Korean team. Uh, and, and You're throwing more shade at the Korean team. They just yeah. went 8-1. I am going all in. I'm all in on Korea now. Oh, boy. Now that my picks are sort of shot to hell, I am all in on the Korean team uh, 100%. Not only... So not only uh, do I only get one playoff team right, all three of my medalists in my predictions did not make the playoffs. Oh, even. I had Sweden finishing fourth. So I am now all in on this Korean team. And and I just... Obviously, they've been playing great. I think it would be so much fun, that gold medal game, if not only they're in it, but they win it. Because I, I think about what happened in 2010 when Kevin Martin had that big lead against Thomas Olgerud, mm-hmm. and the place just started going nuts and like singing the national anthem. I think that would be fun to see a similar thing uh, if that were to happen over there in Korea. So I am all in on this Korean team that, for the women. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to be there, and it was just, uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was chills up my spine still thinking about it, you know. Yeah, so let's uh, shift real quick to the men. The men's field, I don't think, had the same intrigue as the women's field. Certainly, Kevin Cooey, they, they lost three straight games, but... Yeah, in the middle there, they sort of sandwiched three losses around uh, three wins. But but it didn't feel the same in terms of whether or not they were going to make it and, and all that because the games they lost to Sweden, the Swiss, the Americans, that was maybe the surprise loss 
But when you looked at the schedule that they had left afterwards, there were some games that they're going to win 99% of the time there. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the it didn't have the same vibe around them as it had around Rachel Holman, certainly. So the matchups, we don't know the matchups yet because the British and the Swiss have to play. Yeah, the tiebreaker, uh, when's that, tomorrow morning or tonight? I thought it was tonight, but again, the schedule is all. Yeah, tonight at... Uh, like right now almost. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. So, uh, so we'll see. I mean, my money would be on the Swiss there, but uh, what, would you, what did you think of the week for the men, just in general? In general, I mean, I think they took care of business. The, the Swedish game was a real good one. Um, they, the game they lost to Switzerland was one bad end. You know, uh, the American game was in the middle of the night, and so I, I think that's the only one I didn't see. But uh, overall, I mean, they knew what they were there for. They, Yeah, they had a couple losses, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, the key, of course, is just to, once you lost those three games, was to not finish fourth, <laughs> I yeah. think. Uh, you don't want to play the Swiss, or excuse me, the Swedes in the semifinals. So to be able to rebound and get to second is great. So you get that last rock in the first end of the semifinals. Mm-hmm. But they're playing John Schuster is, is very interesting to me. Uh, John Schuster, if you didn't see it after the win against Team Canada, was very emotional in the media scrum area. And, uh, you know, it, it just shows that he's gone through a lot with this team. There was talk after 2014 that he wouldn't be back and, and that he wouldn't play anymore. So to come back and, I mean, we've, we've sort of joked about skinny John Schuster, but really dedicated himself to the game. And they were, they were, they were behind the eight ball there at 2-4. and four. And having to come back with some big wins, and, and that set them up to do so. So that team has some momentum. They're rolling. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But, I mean, the favorite certainly has to be Canada in that matchup. Yeah, I think uh, that that uh, having beaten Canada already once and having expended so much emotional energy in, in doing so, uh, it would be a real feat for them to come through and do it again. Could they do it? Absolutely. But I would I would put my money on, on Kevin Cooey taking care of business in that game. Mm-hmm. And then the tiebreak, Great Britain and Switzerland. I mean, it's tough in, in that to, to know who's going to necessarily win. But whoever wins is going up against this Swedish team. And I haven't watched much of them this week, but that game that they played against Kevin Cooey was amazing. Mm-hmm. They didn't miss, and it was a clinic. And, and Canada played well too. Like Canada yeah. played great. Yeah. And I tweeted during that game that uh, pretty much anyone in the world outside of the players on the other teams would sign up for that to be the gold medal game. Mm-hmm. Just the shot making that was there—that's what you want to see. That was curling at its best. Those are the two best teams in the field, just duking it out. Yeah, and like you said, it was it was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, no doubt. So. The disappointing teams here, I mean, I think Norway sort of got off to a bad start. That's mm-hmm. disappointing for Thomas Wilsrud. They tweeted after the game that they'll have an announcement in the coming months about what their future is going to be. We speculated in the preview that this might be it for them in terms of Olympic play. Otherwise, I think the standings went sort of to form. The Koreans, the Japanese, both four and five. The Italians got off to a good start, mm-hmm. winning two of the first three there. Uh, but they ended up three and six, and the Danish team at two and seven. So no real major surprises coming out of that men's field. The only thing that maybe was surprising is that the Swiss struggled down the stretch. 
yeah. after they had a nice uh, a nice opening in that they 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 had a really good chance to finish second, mm-hmm. if not first, after they beat the Swedes. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that game last night, the Sweden Norway game, just as a fun little thing, neither of them really cared, um, <laughs> and they got off the ice. I think they played six and just got the hell out of there. <laughs> it, it was just why? What's the point? So yeah. that was kind of fun to see. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, like you say, I think uh, I had picked Norway and. Uh, and you know, I was sort of a sentimental kind of favorite to to squeak it in there in the playoffs, but but uh, otherwise, yeah, mostly to form the field, mostly to form. Yeah. So our our picks from the preview show, you had Canada winning the gold, Sweden winning the silver, Norway as the bronze, and the Americans finishing fourth. So you got three out of four playoff, playoff teams, teams right. You can still get two of the medals correct. I have all three of my medalists uh, still. The the possibility is still there. I had the Swedes winning, the Canadian second, the Swiss with the bronze, and I had the Japanese getting that fourth playoff spot. Obviously, I'll be wrong on that front, <laughs> yeah. uh, as they did not make the playoffs. Uh, so there's one other thing I want to talk about as we, because obviously we're not going to go off of our picks because they're still they're still in play. Yeah. One other thing I want to talk about is what happened or the reaction to the CBC broadcast. So obviously we're in Canada and we're talking about this from a Canadian perspective. The reaction to not only Mike Harris and Joe McCusker, but also to Colleen Jones has been very interesting to me this week. Mike Harris is direct. He is blunt. Mm -hmm. He is going to say what he thinks. That's what makes a good broadcaster. Yeah, I think. And I've seen people complain that, oh, he's from Canada. He should be more supportive of the Canadian teams. My feeling is that, no, he shouldn't. He should call it down the middle, say what he thinks, and be direct. And I think the same with Joan McCusker. That I think they've done a great job of not being, ru- like, they're not rooting for Canada because that's not their job to root for Canada. And I think they've done a really good job. So I think some of the backlash and the anger towards them has been a little... Hmm confusing to me, uh, especially when people complain that professional sports teams, when announcers are homers, they don't like that. But then, anyway. And also, we complain when the Americans are very homery in their Olympic coverage. And so now we have two people who clearly aren't being homers in their coverage. We get mad at them. The other one is Colleen Jones. She had, I think, the impossible task last night of interviewing Rachel Homan after the Great Britain game. Mm. And I think she asked four or five questions, which pretty much were standard of how do you feel, so what went wrong in the 10th end, because that 10th end last night was not very good. Right? It's not ideal when the other team is sitting four uh, <laughs> and you're, you're only up by one. And how disappointing is this? But to me, they were just basic standard questions, and she got roasted for it. And I don't understand why. They were questions that you have it's an impossible job to interview somebody in that situation but people want to hear what the player has to say and she asked questions that were open-ended they were specific to that game and this idea of well now you are not going to make the playoffs how do you feel mm-hmm. and those are to me standardish questions the fact that she got roasted for it i don't understand it because mm. i don't think they were mean russ howard put out a tweet that he thought that the questions were 
were kind of intense and and I just I don't know I just wanted to say that I don't I don't get what the backlash or the pushback is because I think the coverage has been pretty good. Yeah, I think so too. I, I uh, to top on your point about Mike and Joan there as part of the broadcast team and you said they they're not rooting for Canada. I think based on their coverage that to me they were they were pointing out what Canada was doing wrong and and what they needed to do to get on track, which isn't rooting right. for them. I think they would have liked Canada to be in these uh, in these playoffs, but uh, but overall, I think they've been they've been pretty good and, and pretty down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, they're it, not a, they're not afraid to point out when things have gone wrong. Right. It's a Canada centric broadcast, but it's not a rooting for Canada broadcast. Yeah, that's a good way of putting which it. Which I think is two different things. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, I still think the TSN broadcast is. Is slicker. It's better. I think it's better looking now. To be fair to the CBC crew, they're not producing a lot of this. Right, a lot of the images, if not all of the images, are coming from the Olympics. Right? It's, yeah, it's Olympic broadcast. Yeah, so they system. they produce it all, and you get to do your own play by play for it. Mm-hmm. So you're limited in, in what you can do visually, but certainly the TSN broadcast is so slick because they've been doing it for so long and, and know how to do it. And even you know when Sportsnet does it on the Grand Slams, and they have this crew there, I still think that the TSN one looks a little better. Yeah, yeah. Now, have you been able to check out any of the NBC coverage? Because I, I, I have not. I have not. They've blocked it. So, or the audio, the online stuff, you can only watch it if you're in the United States. Well, we, we may or may not have a way to get around that. So. We may or may not, but officially, there's no way to get around it because we live in Canada, and there is no way to... Pretend like you're in the United States. No way. There's it's no way at all. Completely no. impossible. So I haven't seen any of it. But I did see uh, that Kathy Overton Clapham had tweeted that she had been part of the NBC coverage, which I didn't know she was going to do. Okay. Uh, I just knew Kevin Martin was. So, And Jamie Sinclair as well has been part of the uh, the NBC coverage mm-hmm. and tweeted about really enjoying herself. So yes. uh, I'll be interested to check it out. Maybe they'll put some stuff on YouTube or uh, or somewhere legal that we can watch it that'd be good uh, after the fact and i wouldn't mind going back and and watching a few after the fact no for sure and and american curling twitter has been really interesting to follow much Mm -hmm. more positive i have to say than canadian curling twitter i enjoyed canadian curling twitter during the scotties during the olympics it's been a little tough to to slog through it i have to say some of the the negativity has been been a little little much yeah and i mean during this during the scotties there wasn't as much you know reason for negativity mm-hmm. in canadian curling twitter because it was sort of everyone you know raising everyone up but uh it hasn't been that great for canada um in the olympics and so some negativity mm-hmm. more of yeah, the venting through. it's it's the venting that can be yeah, but like, like like we said at the beginning, let's get this straight. I mean, uh, this team is not a bad team because they went and missed the playoffs at the at the Olympics. They had yep. a, a bad week. Yeah, they're and, the best team in the world. And that can happen to anyone at any time. And yeah. like, unfortunately for them, it happened at the Olympics. But I think if they choose to stay together, even if they don't, I think these players on their own would they'll be favorites to make it back in 2022. I think so, absolutely. And we'll talk about this next week, but there's been talk now, should they change the process or should they change the timing of the Olympic trials? And that's a whole thing we can get into uh, next week because it's just too much of a discussion to have here. But the fact that that's being raised is interesting given that Canada 
did win the two gold medals last time, yeah. and that the mixed team, which had to go through their trials even closer to the Olympics, ran through the competition there too. Yeah, so yeah. you don't want to overreact to a bad week, and that's really what it boils down to. And, yeah, that's what it was. It's no shame, and the, the hopefully the team can doesn't dwell on it mm-hmm. too much and that they I'm sure it'll take time to, to sort of get over what is, it has to be a great disappointment for them I'm sure they had gold medal hopes and, and they thought that they were uh, going to medal mm-hmm. and hopefully it doesn't take too long for them and, and that the curling community is supportive and because and you just raise everyone up and let's be honest they have they've improved in the, the level of play since they burst onto the the women's scene. Absolutely. They've made it they've made it better and the thing that we forget about them sometimes is that they're still really, they're still really young. Yeah, they're 20 28 29 years old. So so they have multiple Olympic cycles left if they want to keep going and there's no indication that any of them don't want to keep going. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that you know, if if they stay on track that you know the way too early projections for four years from now i would say that they have to be the favorites yeah absolutely Um, absolutely so if you're thinking out there about composing a mean twitter don't do it don't just don't do it and you can write it compose a nice positive one yeah i mean if you want to compose it to sort of let some frustration out then compose away just don't send it yeah, don't send it. They don't need that. Uh, embrace them. Send yeah. them messages of support. And, yeah, and then and send a positive one out after. Delete the negative one that you've composed. Send out a, and just change the adjectives from negative <laughs> words to positive words. That's all you need to do. We just need more love. I mean, it's sports. Yeah. Oh, like, honestly, it's sports. You know, Canada, yeah, we, we would have liked for them to meddle. But you know what? I woke up this morning. The sun was mm-hmm. out. Then it started to rain, but then the sun came back, and so the world keeps going. Yeah, and hopefully for them, when they once they have time to process this, they can look back and realize that going to the Olympics is pretty cool. It's a pretty big deal, and, and they can get Olympic tattoos and now uh, yeah. be Olympians forever. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know if you saw this, but the women's, uh, did you see this? The women's half-pipe skier. So this, this woman, is she's an American-born, but her grandparents were Hungarian. Mm-hmm. So she read the rules how to qualify for the Olympics, and she needed enough top 30 finishes at World Cup events. So she would go to events where there were less than 30 competitors and just ski down the middle of the half pipe and get points because she didn't fall down, (laughs) right? And she would finish mostly in last, sometimes not in last because other people would fall and not finish their runs. Yeah. And she accumulated enough points that she qualified for the Olympics out of Hungary and she did her run and she actually went up on the sides and just went back and forth. She didn't do any tricks and she finished last because she wanted to be an Olympian. Like, wow. good for you. So this right? is our like, this is our goal now is to find some to find way the loopholes to get into the Olympics. And get in. But that, I mean, that to me, that's what sports is great. Yeah. When it's great. That's what like Olympics that. is cool. And yes, they didn't win, but you know what? They won arguably the hardest bond spiel in the world to win, which is the Canadian Olympic trials. Yeah, yeah, and and there's no denying that, that they really performed that week and, and showed why they're the best team in Canada. Yeah, now, and I'm sh- 
that being said, I'm sure there will be a bit of a hangover for the rest of the season and the grand slams that they play. We've seen that with Olympic teams in the past. Mm-hmm. When they come back, they, they tend to struggle through the rest of the year. We'll see what happens with them into the grand slams, but ultimately, I mean, they're, they're events that in the scope of this year are certainly not a priority. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with that. So, with that... We're looking forward to the playoffs. We're looking forward to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I just checked the tiebreaker starts in about five minutes. Okay, so, so we should stop we should talking stop and, and, uh, and watch the game. Yeah. All right, so thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with the show, gameofstonespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. The Twitter is at gameofstonespod. Scott is at Scott Lakes TV. I am at Dr. Shawnee Fever. You can also follow the Facebook group, just Game of Stones podcast on Facebook. Everything goes there. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcast. We're also, I since our last episode, I was told we weren't on Podbean yet. But we are now on Podbean. Hey, good on you. So you, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Please do subscribe. So on behalf of Scott, I am Sean Graham. Keep your brooms on the ice. Don't dump that intern. Make the final...